Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode I have Greg McCann who I've had many interesting chats with over leadership especially in family businesses and I really do enjoy our talks together. Welcome Greg. Thank you Titi, great to be here. Awesome and today's topic will be conscious leadership within the family business so I'm just going to let Greg introduce himself and tell us about the work that he does before we deep dive into our topic for the day. Sure. Um, Probably the best way to describe my background is I think of it as I wear four hats relative to this field. So I grew up in a family business, still an owner in my extended family's business. And my father at 86 is still the chairman of the board. The second hat would be I was a professor at Stetson University where we created the first major in family business in the US and we believe the world. Um, Third, I do some writing and speaking on family business. And fourth, I'm a consultant and coach to family enterprises, mostly in the U.S., but somewhat throughout the world. Right. And in this journey, uh, working with family businesses, I'm sure you have come across different leaders and different leadership styles. And obviously, there's there's the good, there's the bad and then there's that in between space where leaders are still trying to find their feet and create an identity for themselves as leaders what would you say and your experience is conscious leadership I think conscious leadership you know I teaching 18 year olds at eight o'clock in the morning I developed hopefully a skill to simplify things Um, So to me, the two sort of pillars of the work I do is awareness uh, and then developing your capacity and agility. So you can't work on anything, a strength, a weakness, or even a blind spot until you're aware of it. And then once you're aware of it, how do you start to decide what do I want to do with that and when? So a quick example, I was 40 when someone said you were innovative. Now, my, my initial response was to think that meant artistic. So I spent an hour arguing with this coach. But as I d- digested that, it changed my career and said I have the capacity to see change differently. But it also said I should have the agility to know when not to bring that into a conversation because it can overwhelm people. It can confuse people. It can be disruptive, even chaotic. So awareness leads to a greater capacity, but with that capacity, you need to say, what's the agility to say, when's this the right style? Or I use the metaphor of a manual transmission car. When's this the right gear? You know, you would never drive a car around just in second gear. And like you said, awareness leads to capacity. How do leaders become aware of what type of leader they are or their leadership style, because we've been 
introduced to many leadership styles and sometimes and in some cases we've been told that leadership styles merge within each other when do leaders become aware of what their leadership style is so again again that goes back to awareness so one is am i getting feedback two do i realize there are different styles so you know there's say command and control well, that's probably great when there's a crisis. The building's on fire. We need to get everyone out. I don't think you form a team and ask everybody how they feel. You just get them out of the building. There's the coaching model where you're trying to develop people. There's the I'll lean back and let the team take this one, even if they fail, because I want to develop the team's capacity. So, you know, I ran Stetson's executive MBA and the two mantras throughout that 18 months were what gear should I be in? And also, how do I get comfortable being uncomfortable? You know, I, I like the analogy of working out, that if you're a leadership, you need to practice. So you're getting feedback. Do you have a coach? Are you meditating? What are you doing to increase that awareness? And then what are you doing to practice that? Uh, the other mantra, besides what gear should I be in, is how do I get comfortable being uncomfortable? You know, a team I just worked with, a very expert trained people, are now trying to become leaders. And they said, this is much more difficult because it's personal. But if you wanna be a leader, you've gotta stretch and strain a little bit. You know, Titsi, if I walked out of the gym and you said, how was your workout, Greg? And I said, it was great, really comfortable. I never stretched and for God's sake, I didn't sweat. That's not a workout. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, if you're not trying a different gear, if you're not asking for feedback, if you're not owning your weaknesses, you're not really practicing being a leader. That's an interesting take because as we know that leaders are sometimes put on pedestals and a lot of people see them as um, the beacon of light for an organization or a movement. So is it always easy for a leader to take in feedback and how can a leader be in what can I say, intentional or receptive to feedback? So every valid leadership program I've ever seen mm -hmm. says good leaders aggressively give and seek out feedback. Mm -hmm. And if I can use an analogy, if I ask you to drive home tonight and cover your dashboard, you wouldn't know how fast you were going. You wouldn't know if you had gas left. You wouldn't know. If... So I, I think no matter how self-aware you are, you can never see what other people see. Mm -hmm. So a, a great institution in the States, the Center for Creative Leadership, one of the top leadership programs in the world says, as you move up in any organization, mm -hmm. and I believe this is exponentially more true in a family enterprise because families avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. The number one risk to derail your career is lack of objective feedback. Mm -hmm. And we see this with celebrities. We see this with athletes, people with great power, and indulgence that don't get feedback are often corrupt mm -hmm. or corrupted because nobody tells you it's not okay not to wear pants to work on Monday, or it's not okay to have six drinks at lunch or whatever the risk is. Mm -hmm. So all of us, especially leaders where you have that power and privilege, if you're not getting feedback, you're not managing the number one risk to derail your career. Mm. That's, that's very interesting and powerful. And I like the fact that you mentioned that there's sometimes when leaders get to a certain level, they sometimes don't get 
the objective feedback from everyone and that can be very blinding for them and uh, lead them to think that they're invincible or untouchable. And looking at that, when people go into leadership, especially looking at back into 2020, it's been a very turbulent year for family business leaders and leaders across the board because we've been leading in very uncertain times. We've had to face decisions that we've made. At, I'm sure everybody going into 2020 had these big dreams of where they're gonna take their organizations and they had projections. But within a couple of months, weeks, hours, everything had changed. Everybody was left with, um, what can I say? A, a, a sour taste in their mouth and, they all of a sudden had to exercise extreme leadership capabilities that at sometimes they didn't. What is your thought processes on leadership and the idealistic way to lead? Because there are two methodologies that I've seen, the leader that leads from within the group and helps the group in fact, drive the, the vision forward. And then there's the leader who is expected to step up and create the vision and lead the vision themselves. In re relation to 2020 and what's been going on, what has been your experiences in terms of which type of leadership style have you, have you seen being most effective? Oh, great, great question. Mm -hmm. The short answer is both, mm -hmm. uh, but I think there's an uncertainty at a level most of us have never experienced before. You know, almost every industry is being disrupted, mm -hmm. airlines, business travel, meatpacking, you know, on and on. So I, I think a lot of leaders think they always need to have the answer and provide certainty. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the more evolved leaders say, right now I can't provide certainty. I can provide direction, information, you know, our values, here are the rudders we're using, but we're in a storm that no one knows what's coming next. So if I provide you certainty, mm -hmm. it's an illusion. Mm -hmm. And to more directly your question, I think that a good leader says, this is a place I develop the team, I trust the team, and maybe the best ideas in the team, not me. I don't have to always be the hero. Mm -hmm. But also I am struggling to look ahead. You know, I have a client that said, I just wanna keep my head down and do the next task. Mm -hmm. And I understand that as a stress management technique, but I said, that is not leading. In a few months, that's gonna put your company at great risk. Mm -hmm. That ability to step back and have white space, that ability to reflect and think, because if your industry is being disrupted, making a more efficient blockbuster store, I don't know if that reference metaphor it resonates, but sort of doing the same thing more efficiently when your industry is being disrupted. Leaders need white space to think. And I think under stress, a lot of people feel like if I'm frantically busy and stressed, I must be leading. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Somewhat the opposite. Am I pulling back and really thinking about what's next? So would you say that you, you believe that a reflective leader can be impactful? Oh, God, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, the, best, the best leaders I know, I think of one gentleman who took his company over 30 years to just a nationally prominent level. Mm 
-hmm. he, he valued white space tremendously. Another colleague who runs a leading design thinking firm in the US said, uh, white space is tied for number one on his values. If you're, if you're trying to lead and truly lead and set a vision and see what's ahead, mm -hmm. then I, I think of the Indiana Jones running ahead of that boulder. If that's what your day is like, you're not leading, right? He wasn't thinking about new things. He was worried about the boulder mm -hmm. a foot behind. True leadership says, I'm going to create a vision, create alignment with my people and inspire commitment. Yeah. That's very different than the frantic pace that I think a lot of people feel. You know, I have one coaching client that said, when I am frantically busy, I feel important. And we've worked really hard to change that script. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking about what you're saying about um, when we're frantically be busy, leaders tend to think that's important. And I think in a lot of societies, we are given the reflection or the understanding that when a leader is busy, they're actually leading. Have you found that, like from what you're saying, it's not always the case and the majority of the time, it's, it goes against the principles of good leadership? Absolutely. And, you know, I think especially in family enterprises where hard work's a value, Mm -hmm. And we often mistake sort of that frantic, I came in early, I stayed till midnight, I have an ulcer, kind of even suffering, not just hard work. Mm -hmm. I'm coaching 12 leaders in family enterprises. Every one of them is struggling for white space. But to give you an example, one woman is blocked off two hours a week just to think. And she's now encouraging these six people in her leadership to do the same. Mm -hmm. so I think the leader, you know, the character and behavior of the leader sets the tone for the culture. So if the leader says it's okay to be creative. Now, I think you have to come back and say, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what's come out of that. Mm -hmm. And trust your people to do the same. It, I think it can be very powerful. You know, Google does that. They give all their employees white space throughout the week and trust that they'll be thinking about new ideas. Right. As, as much as we've said white space white space i'm sure there's some people who don't understand what the term white space is can you just show us or explain to us what this white space is and what it is to have two hours one hour 10 minutes of white space reflective time quiet time so i, I think it's uh, uninterrupted time both externally so you're not taking phone calls or emails, your phone's not dinging. And internally to say, I'm not going to obsess about things. I'm not going to ruminate. Mm -hmm. I got some feedback that I'm innovative, or I just talked to some other people in my industry and here are some of the trends. Or what if, you know, one of my clients pivoted their industry, they made railings for office buildings and shopping malls. They pivoted and started a joint venture to make hospital beds that made up for 25% of their revenue. Mm -hmm. That takes some stepping back and thinking and pondering, you know, so it could be with someone, with a coach, with yourself, it could be by yourself having a long walk, but it's just getting out of that frantic, interruptive pace that we all seem to have with technology, especially today. Mm. And it's a good thing that you touched on technology, because my next question was going to lead into that. How do you think technology is affecting leaders? especially leaders in a space where we're being told to digitalize everything 
And so you can't get away from the office the way you used to, or you can't escape even your family, if you're a family leader, the way we used to be able to. How do we deal better with technology as leaders? And how is it going to be beneficial for our leadership styles going into the future? I, I think we all struggle with technology because on one level it feels we can be so effective and so connected, but yet at the same time, it feels like you know, you're supposed to carry your cell phone into the shower. Mm -hmm. So I think it's challenging. Some things I've seen are you know, boundaries. So I've seen clients make agreements. We won't email or text on the weekend about business or we won't do it at night or for the first two hours. So sort of start to set expectations. Um, and also, you know, I, I greatly believe uh, that as a world, we've become very good at being innovative as a rule. The undertow, what's I think being eroded is intimacy. And I don't mean that just romantically, obviously, but a good long discussion. And so assess, am I texting somebody when it should be an hour long lunch? You know, if I'm asking my dad about succession, I don't think that should be a text. That should be a one-on-one -on -one in-person discussion. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to the agility. When is the technology being used as the right gear? And when are we sort of seduced by it because it's convenient and feels quick? Mm -hmm. And... Now, going back into the crux of our discussion, which is family businesses, how do you see family business leaders juggling situations where they're leaders in the family business, but maybe not so much leaders in the family home? So it's, it's almost like trying to not take the hat that you wear at work, back home. Great question. My, you know, my brother, who is um, the heir apparent in our family business, is juggling that. So I'll go back to the two comments: the capacity and the agility. So you may be the forty-year-old daughter running the company, and that means that ultimately you're in charge. Ultimately, you set the vision. Then you may go to a holiday dinner, and you're not. And so how do you show up in a different role, maybe more deferential, maybe more collaborative, maybe even more humble if you're threatening siblings in the family. So, you know, Titsi, two of the four agilities in the model I use are self-awareness and empathy. How do you, how are you aware how you show up and how are you aware how other people perceive you and what they care about? And that, you know, that any family enterprise is more complex than just a business. So the capacity to deal with complexity is so important in family businesses. And nobody tends to, you know, schools don't treat, train you on that. Uh, many consultants just focus on the business. You know, I think you and I would say a lot of our life's work is helping people deal with that side that's often neglected, the family side. Yes, and how can family leaders be more conscious about how they lead the family, more so when you're looking at business families, because you have the two sides of having to deal with business and having to deal with family. And uh, as we have seen in, in the family business space, these are two totally different um, angles and two totally different expectations. So how best do you think family businesses 
um, and family business leaders can deal with juggling both these expectations? So, you know, I've evolved to this point of view over 20 years, 25 years in this field. I'd say one is commit to saying our family should be a strategic advantage to all of our enterprises. So from that, you say things like, let's get clear on our values. What, what matters to us? I think number two would say, if the leader's character probably defines the culture of the business and the family as much as anything, then are you aware of your character? So a quick example, two brothers I worked with had just gotten feedback from a 360 process. We wrote three of their biggest strengths and three of their biggest weaknesses on a chalkboard and said, is this the culture of the family business? And they went, totally. So realize you define the culture as much as anything in your business and in your family. And if you're not intentionally working to evolve that, to build on the strengths, to address the weaknesses, to align with the values, I don't think you should be in business together. I'll, I'll be that bold. That if you don't have a family business practice, you're putting your family, your resources, and all the stakeholders at risk. And that, that to me is the epitome of conscious capitalism in family enterprise. And for those leaders that are in family enterprises and are not part of the family, how best would you advise them to work within the family within the family business and still be able to maintain that leadership without feeling intimidated by the family's presence? Great, great question. Non-family leaders, I think, have one of the hardest tight ropes to walk of anybody. So I, I think I would say two things. They also need to develop that capacity and agility. Am I having a business discussion with grandma or am I having a family discussion? Two, I think helping families get out of their bubble. So, so many families I work with, and these are often multi-billion dollar families, maybe 150 members. They're still, they don't have a context of what's done in other families. So helping to say, this is normal, these struggles. I mean, they're unique to your family, but they're normal. And then here's a roadmap of what many families do. They develop a family council, they develop governance, they work on communication. Um, so without that awareness that, oh my God, we're fairly common and there are, there's work to do and a roadmap to do it. Uh, again, like getting in shape, you might do yoga, I might do running, somebody else might do strength training. But if we don't have a practice and sit on the couch every day, I think we all know what ends up happening. Yes, that's what happened during the shutdown COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we all ended up on couches somewhere. <laughs> Oh, well, Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much for sharing insights into leadership and how we can be better leaders within the family business. And even when you're an outsider from the family and you're trying to lead a family that is in business, do you have any parting words that you would like to share with our listeners about leadership, especially during this difficult time? And, I'm, and I keep on saying this difficult time because we are still by far away from where we would want to be uh, as families, as businesses, as the world in general. And I think leadership is one of those imperative things that 
we are at this moment looking out for, looking up to, and hoping that we are doing well in the spaces that we are in. So two quick comments. One, again, I think the effort that you are making to bring this information out to families has never been more important. So kudos for that. Two, I think a parting thought might be as a leader, especially when families involved, don't just bring your head to work, but bring your head, bring your heart, bring your gut and bring your soul to this because it's impacting the entire lives of the people you lead. So make sure you show up as a whole person and deal with them as a whole person. Yes, I think that was, um, that was so necessary because sometimes as um, leaders, we show up and we think the job is to get the system up and running and everything maximizing profits or maximizing impact or performance. And we forget the criticalities of the fact that we're dealing with human beings. And sometimes it's not so easy to be human when you're under pressure and you don't even know where the pressure is coming from. This, this ambient stress affects all of us. So yeah, compassion goes a long way right now. Right, before we go, tell us more about ambient stress. So I, you know, ambient means existing, you know, kind of like the weather. Uh -huh. and mm -hmm. You almost don't notice it, but I, I heard a radio show where the woman says, one day you're baking banana bread with your children and singing, and the next morning you're pouring scotch on your breakfast cereal. Um, <laughs> you know, exaggeration, I hope, but um, that we all have good and bad days, that this mm -hmm. is impacting us. It's sort of like having a low-grade fever. Mm. Uh, where occasionally all of us are more off than we've ever been and we're not quite sure why. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think the compassion that, you know, we're all dealing with this ambient stress. It affects all of us at different times, different ways. And to say me too occasionally versus, you know, suck it up or I don't want to hear it. You know, the, the Gallup poll in the U.S. said the number one reason people leave a job is a bad boss. Mm -hmm. So this is a time to be a good boss, a good leader, inspire the people, treat them as human. And that's the right thing to do. And that's the best investment I think you can make. Yes, well said. And I think importantly so to treat ourselves as we are human because we all are human at the end of the day. Thank you so much, Greg. I do appreciate your time and sharing with you today. Thank you very much. Stay well.